I printed something in the bulletin here for the scripture reading that I'm going to have to just read the whole thing because it's just not fair to God the Holy Spirit <laughs> to do otherwise. But it's a lengthy passage. I'm going to say something. Uh, I don't remember in my entire life as a pastor more sense of opposition in this, from the spirit world to a message as I have this message. It is a very straight-to-the-nose punch in the face that was so, so, so well-deserved by the Jewish leadership. But let me tell you, folks, it has its definite application to us today. Because look around you. I'm sure nobody here is older than me. <laughs> would you, looking back on your teenage years, would you have ever expected a culture in the condition, a, an American culture in the condition that it is today? The out-in-your-face wickedness the rebellion against God. Just yesterday, I was made a comment on something on the Internet, and I said, oh, and read Revelation 18. Immediately, I got a reply. Oh, you're going to refer to the Bible. And I replied, I commented back, are you afraid to read the Bible? A lot of people are. Why? Because they know this book is true, and they don't like it. The entire creation is a testimony to a fallen human race of the care, the power, the mercy, the presence, the provision of the Creator God. And they, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the standard response of the human race is to turn away from the message of the creation to suppress the this testimony of the creation, not because of a, an intellectual problem. Oh, no, 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 no. Suppressing in unrighteousness. Why? Because they are wicked people who don't want to be confronted with the wickedness. And so not only, they turn away from the message of creation. The creation by itself shows us how disorderly we are left to ourselves. And this book heightens that. As we've gone through Matthew's Gospel, and, and I've noted this before, the further Jesus is from Jerusalem, the greater his welcome is. In fact, when he is out there on the, on the edges in Galilee and on the other side of the Jordan, when there is a voice of opposition, it is Jewish leadership who have sent a delegation out to oppose him. It's never the native people. 
And the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the greater the opposition becomes. And they are frantic. They can, nothing they come at him with works. And every single time, in fact, they end up running away with their tail between their legs. He always turns around the very thing they're using to attack him. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, the Jewish leadership told him, you need to stop these people. They're, bla they're, they're calling you Messiah. They're calling you God. If they weren't saying it, the rocks would be crying it out. Then he went in, and this is literally a religious mafia. They have turned the temple into a generator of a fortune for them. It is a money mill for the Jewish leadership. And they have reformed both the Pharisees and the Sadducees in different ways, have, and the scribes have reformed the, the religion that rises from the Old Testament, the law of They've reformed it in a way that makes it, to their mind, doable. So we don't really have to walk into the righteousness that God requires. What is the righteousness that God... If I'm walking in the righteousness that God requires, what does that lead me to? It leads me to the understanding that I am a sinner. What is that 10th commandment that Paul cites in Romans? Paul the Pharisee, what is the commandment that beat him to death he could he you know he could get along without murdering people he could go through i can i can i can get uh, or robbing people or committing actual adultery the 10th commandment you shall not covet your neighbor's life wife stuff that commandment killed me that was the commandment that drove him to Jesus because he knew what he was like on the inside. And so when Jesus face-planted him in the dirt outside the walls of Damascus, Jesus, Paul was ready. I mean, Saul of Tarsus was ready. And God made him into a Paul. But we have these words, the Jewish leadership, They've come at him with question after question after question. And they always run away. He always defeats them. Chapter 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, this is Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. What has Jesus just said? Well, in fact, everyone knows that Messiah, 
will be a son of David. And Jesus is a descendant of David through his mother, Mary. He's also the legal descendant of David through his legal father, Joseph. So on both sides, he is a descendant of David. He has the right to the throne based on that. But David in Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord, referencing his descendant who would take the throne, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now we, in our 21st century America, what's the deal? Well, the deal is we don't understand their culture. The, the issue at that point that was, didn't need to be stated was no father in the Mediterranean world, regardless of the culture, no father would ever have addressed his son with the words, with the word Lord. I don't care if you are a poverty-stricken shepherd whose son becomes the wealthiest person in the nation. You're still his daddy. And you don't call him Lord. Everybody else may. But you don't. That was absolutely contrary to their culture. And Jesus cites this. How is it? What is it about this descendant of him, of David himself, that David would turn around and call him Lord? Well, there's only one explanation. Is he David's son? Yes, but he is not just David's son. He has to be God. That is the only explanation. He's also God, and so David must call him Lord. And these men who just the day before had told him, tell those people who are calling you Messiah, who are saying, Hosanna, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord. That's blasphemy. You need to shut them up. If they were not saying it, the rocks would be crying it out. This is the final, they can, they have no answer. We are not just, we have not just made ourselves enemy of Jesus of Nazareth. He's God the Son. They know who he is. They know who, Romans chapter 1. The unrighteous suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. But because of their immorality, because of, of the plans they have formed for themselves and how to advance themselves, what are so contrary to God's word, they are walking in defiance of what they know. The Sadducees are walking in defiance of the Hebrew Scriptures. So are the Pharisees. Now they look nice and religious and clean and sharp. And they are the most admired people in the Jewish culture. But they actually walk in defiance of what they know to be true. As Jesus said earlier, well, <laughs> John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, when the 
scribes and the Pharisees come to his baptist. You snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. If your righteousness isn't greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you are going to hell. And he's done that over and over and over again in Matthew's gospel. That is his message to the Jewish leadership. You have a hell that you need to flee. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They have a rightful place in this culture, in this society. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They are hypocrites. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi! But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. They are all just a show. Don't follow their example. When they tell you what to do, do it, but you do it authentically, unlike them. By the way, what are phylacteries? <laughs> phylacteries are boxes filled with memory verses. And they would write out on the papaya a whole bunch of memory verses. And this is what you're supposed to memorize. And they would put them in the boxes. And then they would tape them to their head. And they would hang them on their arms. So everybody could see that they've got these boxes of memory verses in it. This is so weird. Do you know where that comes from? <laughs> it comes from the law of Moses. where He says, put on your door frame. Put memory verses. So when you're going in and out of your house, you, oh, okay. And that's how you're going to memorize the scripture. Nowhere in the law of Moses does it say tape memory, boxes of memory verses to your forehead. Or hang them off your arms so people can be really impressed by how religious and committed you are. But that's what they've done. And you know what? People are impressed by how religious and committed they are. That's how shallow they were. And Jesus said, don't be shallow, be real, be real, be authentic. They will tell you things to do that you should do, though they themselves are not doing them. Verse 13, 
But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You not only are not entering the kingdom of heaven, you are barring the door to others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. The number one group of people in the Jewish culture that they were to be committed to serving was widows and orphans. Instead, the Jewish leadership made them into deeper, greater victims than they would have been if they had done nothing. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, but it's just a pretense. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple... It is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for what is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever, <coughs> but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God by and by him who sits on it. By the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? Do not swear or take an oath by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make even one hair white or black, but be people of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And whatever is more than these is from the evil one. We all know people that could swear on a stack of Bibles and we still wouldn't believe them. And we all know people who would simply say something based on their, their own selves and we would take it to the bank. That's what Jesus tells us we ought to be. People of such clear integrity that people will simply trust our bare word. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You'll do the little things, but not the big things. Justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others done. I'm not telling you don't do the other, but 
Why are you leaving the uh, important things undone? Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you are corrupt. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. You are walking tombs, defiling, in fact, anyone who gets near you. Inside you are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have partaken with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. And what did John the Baptist say of them when they first came to him? You brood of vipers. And Jesus repeats it here. He's done this before. Serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Now, in our polite society... Well, don't you think you're being a little bit harsh? Oh, you're being judgmental. Yeah, it's true. Because judgment leads to righteousness. If you go to a doctor, you've got a physical ailment, and you go to a doctor, don't you want to know the truth? So you can follow the right course of correction to become healed? What kind of a doctor is it that lies to his patients and tells them that they're fine so they can go home and die? That person would have their, Lord willing, <laughs> license to practice medicine yanked. But that's exactly what the Pharisees are. And in fact, they join their fathers in this. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets. He's talking about now and in the future. I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. The half-brother of Jesus, the, the oldest son of Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born, James, the author of our letter of James. When the Romans came to destroy Jerusalem, 
because of what Jesus has said that's recorded in Luke's Gospel in that version of the Olivet Discourse, the, most of the Christians in Jerusalem fled because Jesus told them to. But James stayed behind. Why? To be a witness. So that in, he, in the city that he knew was going to be destroyed, he would be able to save some. And what did they do? They threw him off the wall. They murdered him. The man who had stayed behind to show them how they could find deliverance. They murdered him. Indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. That is what will happen to you. And it would just be another day or two when Annas and Caiaphas and the Jewish leadership would be standing before Pilate who is washing his hands of the guilt of Jesus' blood. And they cried out, leading the crowd, they cried out, let his blood be on us and on our children. They called down on themselves the very thing that Jesus is stating here. How has that worked out for them? Not well. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, empty. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The very words that had been shouted out to him at the triumphal entry that the Jewish leadership had said, blasphemy. No, there will be future Jewish leaders who will be crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he will become their deliverer. We are seeing in our own, we have as Americans, I don't know of any nation in the world that can claim the spiritual inheritance over the centuries that came to and became, that created this nation. And became the very foundation of what we were as a people. And what do we have now? We have a generation, and it didn't begin with this generation. 
but it's gone, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse with each succeeding generation of a denial of what the Scripture says. That the only Savior is Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, and He is our King. This nation was founded with the concept that Jesus Christ is the King of America. That was literally a statement of our founders. We have, at the time of the battle at Lexington, the British commander looked at the colonists who had gone and armed themselves, these militia members, and he commanded them to lay down their arms and to bow the knee to their king, George. And the reply of those militiamen at Lexington was, we have no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. And that was the basis of the founding. That was the basic concept in the minds of our founders. Was that the God who discloses himself in this book and throughout human history and whose son went to the cross and paid sin's penalty for us. He is the king. He is God the son. And he is the sovereign Lord. And he is the one before whom we will alone bow the knee. And every succeeding generation, there have been revivals in succeeding years. Thank you, Lord. But that is the basic concept of founding this nation. And now, if you even take a Bible onto a college campus, you might be stopped. This is the very thing that this country needs so desperately. And we must pray for God to pour out a spirit of repentance. What did Jesus say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathered her, her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Well, those who are in this nation who are willing can cry out to him that he would make more willing make more willing because he in fact pours out a spirit of repentance on us and i i keep referring to this passage and i'm going to for the rest of my life i'm going to keep referring to this passage zechariah 12 where jerusalem is about to be destroyed surrounded by the armies of the antichrist thus says the lord dot 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 they will look on me whom they, Jesus will rip open the heavens above Jerusalem and ride out on a white horse. And this is from the book of Revelation chapter 19. And then the heavens will fill with the saints of every age, right? Filling the heavens, riding white horses behind him. And it says in Zechariah 12, written 400 years before Jesus' birth, they will look, the Jews in Jerusalem will look on me whom they pierced. That's only one person. It's only one person in all of Jewish history that they ever took community responsibility for piercing. 
Let his blood be on us and on our children. They will look on me whom they pierced. And I will pour out on them a spirit of grace and of supplication. And they will cry out to me and they will mourn. And I will pour out on them this spirit of grace, of crying out. I will enable them to do grace, what they couldn't otherwise have done. And they will cry out to me and they will mourn. And chapter 13, verse 1, and I will open for them a fountain of cleansing. That is, in fact, the pattern of every revival that has ever happened. That's not a one-off. That's the basic pattern. And so we can pray for that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask for the United States of America that you would pour out on the people of this nation who are walking in open rebellion against you. Pour out on them a spirit of grace and of supplication. And as is needed by the people in this room, pour out on us a spirit of grace and of supplication. We ask for China, where the persecution is increasing. India, where the persecution is increasing. Nepal, where the persecution is increasing. The Islamic world. Lord, we pray for Europe. We pray all of this world. Latin America. We ask that you would pour out a spirit of grace and of supplication and cause the enemy to flee. Be that shepherd who goes out into the wilderness to find that 100th sheep. Be that. You have encouraged us to pray in this way by that very teaching. And so we do with expectation that you will hear us. Most, most gladly merciful God and God of all power, to you we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.